welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Happy day, happy day, and welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I want you to always remember two extraordinarily, I mean just beyond comprehension, two very important things. When you're dealing with the law, avoid the downs and savor the ups. And in fact, my friends, this is good advice for anything you do. Avoid the downs and savor the ups. Rejoice in the victories and try and limit or completely avoid the defeats. Today, I want to talk about Fido. How much is that doggy in the window? You know, my frustration at not being able to sing continues to haunt me. I'm sorry that I had to make you listen to that. I want to talk today about dog bite cases. Yes, where Fido unfortunately decided that a human being was lunch. I want to talk about four cases, and then after the break, I'm going to come back and tell you what happened in those cases and give you a little bit of the law and what you can do, uh, both from the perspective of being a dog owner and from the second perspective, uh, avoiding the downs, as I mentioned a moment ago, avoiding being bitten. So we've got a case in Baltimore, Maryland, where a gentleman by the name of Mr. Taylor um, was walking in a neighborhood. He was injured by Mr. Boone's dog when the dog bit his forearm. Mr. Uh, Mr. Taylor had 24 stitches to close the wound, and he filed suit against uh, the dog owner, claiming injury and wanting compensation for his damages. Now, Mr. Taylor claimed that the dog owner failed to control his dog when he allowed the dog to attack him. He also said that the dog had bitten before and that the defendant knew or should have known of the animal's dangerous propensities. Ooh. Plaintiff sought economic, which is dollar for dollar his expenses, uh, damages and non-economic damages. Non-economic non damages are what we call suffering, pain, emotional distress, this sort of thing. Now, uh, the dog owner, Mr. Boone, claims that the plaintiff approached the dog on his own and assumed the risk of his injury. He further says that the plaintiff was intoxicated at the time, and he denies, absolutely denied, failing to control his animal, and he disputed responsibility for the plaintiff's injuries. Now, the plaintiff, again, Mr. Taylor, this is a 45-year-old man, just so you'll know. So we're going to come back after the break and tell you what happened in this, whether he was drunk or not, and uh, what happened to uh, the verdict on his arm. The next is a case out of Georgia. This is, this is a, a very, very upsetting case. Ingrid, uh, eight-year-old little girl, was playing in front of her house when two pit bull mixed dogs owned by a neighbor attacked her. 
The dogs dragged her about a hundred feet. And, you know, if you're sensitive, just cover your ears for the next 30, 40 seconds, mauling her arms, legs, torso, and face. A passing motorist saw Aaron and called 911. When the police got there, the dogs were still attacking this little girl. An officer shot and killed one of the dogs and the other ran away, uh, was later captured and euthanized. Aaron had multiple lacerations and puncture wounds, and the most severe wounds were to her arms, which required vein transplants from both legs. Uh, The surgeons were not able to save her left arm, which was not her dominant arm, and they had to amputate it at the elbow. She now has a prosthetic arm. She also has permanent scarring to her face, the upper body and legs, and she's going to require future surgeries, including scar revision procedures, which are very, very painful as she grows. Scar tissue does not expand like skin as as we grow. Uh, Aaron also suffered, as you can, I'm sure, imagine, post-traumatic stress. Uh, She was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. She had had medical expenses at the point where the trial took place of almost $600,000. And there was an estimate that future medical expenses for scar revision uh, surgeries and additional therapy were estimated at $1.3 million. Um, This little girl at the time of trial was 13, was still having nightmares. So that's five years later. She fears large barking and unleashed dogs. Uh, Of course she does. She's unable to enjoy playing sports as she did before the, uh, the incident, the bite. And she has concerns, again, appropriately, that the loss of function in her arm is going to complicate her plans to someday become a marine biologist. So just so you'll know, the owner of the dog was sentenced to 16 months in prison um, they, parents of uh, little Aaron sued, uh, the owner of the dog under George's dog bite statute. And I'll tell you about that later. Uh, well, I'll tell you right now, actually, it's important to know this. The act provides for what's called strict liability under two different theories, uh, including that a dog was not at heel or on a leash, uh, as required by the local ordinance and that the uh, owner of the dog carelessly managed a dog or allowed it to go at liberty. Again, uh, uh, upset warning, don't listen to this. The trial included the uh, playing of a 911 tape in which Aaron was heard screaming for help for nine minutes. I'm going to come back and tell you what happened in this case after the break. Third case, actually, is another case out of Maryland. This one not in Baltimore, but this is in the uh, area called Montgomery County, where a gentleman uh, employed as a mover uh, was asked to help move the property and furniture and all the other types of things when you move from one place, from in this case, uh, a smaller house to a larger house. So the, um, the couple that owned the dog were planning on getting married um, and they asked this moving company and they send out a gentleman by the name of Jose, uh, who was one of two people, uh, involved in helping move the, the property, uh, the, the property and the furniture from the couple's old house, the smaller house to the newer house. Um, 
the woman owner of the dog uh, was actually employed as a dog trainer, and she has a very large dog, apparently, which she closed away when people came to the smaller house. And um, that's exactly what happened. Everything was moved into the van from the smaller house. The owners of the dog apparently then go to their new bigger house and keep the dog with them. When they get to the newer house, the bigger house, um, the owners of the dog um, let the dog run free because it was in a bigger house. So when the movers got there, the dog uh, running free, um, even though incidentally there was a backyard where it could have been confined, um, the dog um, and Jose uh, get to uh, have an encounter and the dog bites Jose in the knee. Uh, he claims that, of course, they were negligent, the owners, in not keeping the dog out of the way and that the negligence uh, you know, was responsible for his injury, his knee injury. Um, he claims at trial that his injuries are permanent and affected his ability to work as a mover. The dog owners said uh, that they, yes, kept the dog in their original home because it was small and necessary to keep the dog out of the way, but the new hall, uh, house was bigger and it was reasonable to, to let Fido be on the loose and, and he wouldn't be in the way. They admitted um, there was a backyard that they could have put the dog in uh, while the movers were doing what they were doing, uh, but claimed that the backyard, now get this, wasn't large enough for the dog to build up a full head of steam while running. Okay, I've heard some lame excuses, but that really tops it. Um, as well, again, the woman who was the owner of the dog was a dog trainer, and she had the ability, uh, the dog apparently was very well trained, to have the dog stop on two-word command, just stop on his tracks, immobilizing the dog. That didn't happen here. So the plaintiff, again, a 44-year-old man, uh, Jose, employed as a mover, um, had what was called a chondral fracture of the knee, a torn meniscus, and an anterior cruciate ligament tear. Now, interestingly enough, uh, he did not have reconstructive surgery. This is very strange because I'm a, you know, an expert on knees. I've had five knee surgeries and you, know, you have to have surgery with those kinds of injuries or of course you're going to be hobbled for the rest of your life. So you know, not having uh, you know, personal knowledge of this gentleman, I can't figure out for the life of me why he didn't go get surgery. Anyway, I'm going to come back and share with you what happened in this case. The last case involves um, a case of a woman who was attacked by a dog out in Los Angeles. Um, she uh, was visiting a friend's house when their dog attacked her. She suffered a bite wound to the right corner of her lip uh, that left her with scarring and nerve damage and superficial bites to one of her hands. So at the point in trial, a couple years after the dog, the dog bit her, she was still having problems with drooling and impaired speech. She also had, as you might expect, post-traumatic stress as a result of the incident. Her medical bills at that point were just over $14,000 and future expenses were estimated at almost $22,000. This woman was an administrative assistant at a university um, and she claimed that she had lost about $1,100 in earnings. So she sued them, alleging that the owners of the property of the dog 
uh, her friends, were strictly liable under the state's dog bite statute. So after the break, I'm going to come back and tell you what happened. So maybe have somebody else take out the dog for a walk. See you when I get back. No, we're not going to the break yet. I have to share this with you. This is, without question, the number one strangest case I've ever seen in my entire life. Guy by the name of George has surgery to correct an ugly scar on his hand. The surgeon grafted skin from George's chest onto his hand, except that George had a hairy chest. So now he had a hairy hand as well. George sues the surgeon and was awarded. Are you ready for this? He wins the lawsuit. I don't, didn't see the amount. I couldn't get any information on this. He sues the surgeon. He wins, and he was awarded a monetary amount that was the equivalent of the difference in value between a 100%, call it a good hand, and a hairy hand. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is America, folks. Here's the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Well, okay, I'm back. So, uh, you know, I told you before I left that you should go out and walk Fido, and then I uh, gave it a second thought and told you now have somebody else go back and listen. Uh, so you could listen to my uh, uh, my break uh, discussion of the Samaco Club. So I hope that Fido now has been walked. Yes, okay, you can give Fido a treat if you'd like to do that right now. Just make sure he's not being too noisy and uh, crunching up the treat so that you can't listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you. So these are dog bite cases, and you might wonder, well, okay, you know, you sue the dog owner, but where's the money coming from? Because chances are most of the time, if these are serious owners of dogs, aren't going to have lots of cash lying around to pay for, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the lunchtime meal of uh, human flesh if, uh, if Fido does bite you. It is the homeowner's insurance. Homeowner's insurance on these cases pay for these claims because that's part of their 
coverage. That's part of the protection you get when you own a home and your dog bites somebody and a doggy shouldn't have bit whomever. So this first case I talked to you about where um, the guy, uh, uh, the defendant, the owner of the, the dog claimed that uh, the gentleman approached the dog on his own and assumed the risk of his injury and that he was also intoxicated. Uh, this was a case where there were negotiations, interestingly enough, with the uh, the homeowner's insurance. Um, the gentleman said that uh, he had a forearm injury requiring 24 stitches, emergency treatment, and muscle injuries. And he had a residual scar from the wound where he was bitten. So they went to court, but prior to actually getting to court, um, he had made a demand of the homeowner's insurance to pay him $25,000. And the homeowner's insurance offered to give him $9,000, which covered his bills, certainly. Well, the jury came back and decided that uh, they believed that uh, he was intoxicated and that he approached the dog. So he got zero, nada, zip, nothing. Should have taken the $9,000 offer. Georgia case. This is the Georgia case where uh, I asked you to cover your ears on a few occasions during my discussion of what happened to this little girl, Erin, eight years old at the time she was bitten by these two pit bull mixed dogs uh, where the dogs were killed and the owner of the dog was put in jail. And I told you that she had medical expenses of about 600000 and therapy uh, estimated in their future at about $1.3 million for revision surgeries for the scars, you know, an amputated partial arm, uh, stress, probably goodness knows for how much longer in her life. Well, you're going to like this. Um, the, um, the jury came back and awarded almost a little shy of $73 million in Georgia for this young lady, 37 million in compensatory damages. This is to compensate her for what happened and an additional $36 million in punitive damages. That was a jury award. Um, you know what? It's a lot of money. Absolutely. And it was a great result. Uh, the lawyers for this little girl did a great job, but I'm willing to bet you that nobody would take $73 million in exchange for what happened you know, you're not going to raise your hand and say, sure, let me get bitten. Let me have all these problems and then give me 73, 73 million. Nobody out there would do that. So these are tragic cases, no matter what the result. But as far as the law goes, we're only able to to look back and see what we can do to try and make uh, make the best of a bad situation. And that's money damages. The third case was the case involving the homeowners who asked the uh, moving company to come and, you know, move their furniture and possessions and what have you. And uh, then they get to um, the bigger house and the homeowners, the woman who is the owner of the dog in particular, and she's a dog trainer, um, let the dog run around loose in the house, uh, again, claiming um, that um, she didn't put the dog in the backyard because it could have... Uh, uh, could have not gotten up a full head of steam running around in the backyard because the backyard wasn't just quite big enough. So the dog um, bites uh, Jose, one of the movers, bites his knee, and he's got all these different problems. Um, fracture, torn meniscus, torn anterior cruciate ligament. Didn't have surgery. I'm still scratching my head on that. Don't understand it. 
Anyway, over in Montgomery County, a jury decides in favor of Jose, in favor of the mover, and the jury awards him almost $543,000. Good verdict. Um, Should have kept the dog at bay, should have told the dog to stop, should have put the dog in the backyard, something so that the dog isn't uh, capable of... uh, you know, of biting uh, someone else, uh, particularly hurting them when when they're there helping you. We have the case out in Los Angeles where the woman was visiting her friends, 34-year-old woman, um, damage to her lip, scarring and nerve damage, superficial bites to one of her hands. Uh, At trial several years later, still drooling and impaired speech, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, $14,000 in medical bills, another 22000 or so, uh, future medical bills and therapy for stress. Um, the lawsuit resolved with a settlement of $700,000. So again, a good result. Again, nobody's raising their hand asking to be bitten by a dog, but at least a jury compensated this woman appropriately. So I want to run through just a random number of states here and tell you what the liability issues are with respect to dogs. Some states uh, have what we call strict liability. That is, if Fido bites somebody and you're the owner, you're responsible, period, the end, Uh, except in very certain circumstances. For instance, um, if you are uh, trespassing on their property, um, if uh, there's dog abuse where you're provoking the dog, or, um, you know, some kind of... uh, uh, provocation where, um, you know, you're, you're taunting the dog and that sort of thing. So let me just run through some states. Out in California, strict liability if, uh, if the victim is on public property or lawfully on private property, lawfully. So you invite someone to your home or they're a guest there or it's the, uh, you know, the encyclopedia salesman, he's allowed to come up and ring your doorbell and you open the door and Fido jumps out and bites him. He's lawful on your property, strict liability. The owner is strictly liable and must pay damages to the the victim who has been bitten by the dog. Colorado is an interesting state. They have, again, strict liability uh, for what they call serious injuries. And their law is actually mixed because they also employ what many states do, which is what we call the one bite rule, one bite rule. And it's exactly opposite what it might sound like. A dog is allowed to bite someone and the owner is not responsible if it's the first bite and the owner won't be responsible. That is the owner didn't know or have any reason to know that the dog was dangerous. There was no propensity uh, of the dog to be dangerous and so if this is the first time, like, oh my gosh, my dog bit you. I'm so sorry. I didn't ever know that he would bite anybody. Well, in that case, the owner is not going to be responsible. Connecticut has a law uh, that the owners are liable uh, for uh, the bites of their dogs unless the individual is a trespasser or there is abuse or provocation of the dog. Washington, D.C. has a very interesting uh, statute with dog bites, and that is the law of contributory negligence. The states are divided in five states actually have a contributory negligence law, and the rest have what is called comparative negligence. So contributory negligence means that you contributed to your own injury. 
So again, if you're trespassing or there's provocation, dog uh, abuse, you know, that kind of thing, um, you contributed, you get zero. Contributory negligence is a very harsh law. Even 1% responsibility on your part, you get zero from the owner of the dog whose dog and your fault might have been 99%. Now compare that to most other states in the United States, which have what is called a comparative negligence standard, where let's just say that you're 10% responsible for your own injury, then the amount of money that you get will be reduced by 10%. Compare the negligence of both sides and subtract the negligence percentage from the amount ultimately recovered by the victim. Illinois, just as an example, has also a strict liability standard, again, absent provocation or trespass. Maryland, where I talked about two of these cases, uh, has the contributory negligence rule, and you must prove prior knowledge. So not only contributory negligence, but the one-bite rule applies in Maryland. The same in Virginia, the one-bite rule. Now, I'm going to talk about the one-bite rule as a practicing attorney and tell you really what, what happens in a lot of these cases if you have a good attorney. Last case I want to talk about. This is one of the ones that I found to be most interesting. Out in Nevada, the land of, um, um, of gambling and uh, legal prostitution, Nevada. So if a prostitute bites you, that's not the same as a dog. Oh, my goodness. Nevada, no liability at all for an average bite. Okay, what is an average bite? There is liability on the part of the homeowner if the dog has been determined to be a vicious dog. Now, what's a vicious dog? I'm going to get to that. But there's no liability for a homeowner if the dog is only a dangerous dog. So here's the, here's the way that this rolls out. A dangerous dog is a dog that has two bites within the last 18 months. Any more than that, then it's a vicious dog. And then if your dog is vicious in Nevada and bites somebody, you're responsible. But if it's only a dangerous dog and it's only an average bite, well, you're on your own. Sorry about that, Charlie. So I want to talk about this one bite rule because this is a very interesting concept in the law. And it comes from the common law, which means that it came from over in England when we came over to the United States and is followed through the case law in many, many states. One bite rule. Well, you know, you might say that's not fair. His dog bit me and they should be responsible. And you know what? I'm, a, I'm going to agree with that. I, I do believe that you should be able to control your dog. So if you're a, a dog owner, keep the dog on a leash. You must comply with all the local statutes and ordinances. Keep the dog in your house. Somebody rings the doorbell. Don't let the dog anywhere near uh, the front door. I don't care if your dog has never bitten anybody before. I mean, you just have to be careful. A dog is still an animal and you never 100% know what's going to happen uh, if the dog senses something or smells something. Um, there could be a, a lot of different reasons that a dog can bite somebody. So I think if you're the owner, you have an absolute responsibility to make sure that people around you are safe and that your dog is always controlled. But what is this one bite rule? The one bite rule means, again, that if the dog has never bitten anybody and you didn't know as the owner that the dog might bite somebody, then you're not going to be responsible. Well, how do you prove that you didn't know the dog wouldn't bite somebody? Well, most 
places have dog control, uh, you know, ordinances, uh, not ordinances, so they have dog control ordinances. But what I want to say is they have dog control uh, officials. They have people who uh, are required to take reports anytime there is a dog bite. And they know about these things because people report uh, their bite to animal control or dog control. So there are records. So if there are records and your dog has bitten somebody and now you're claiming that you you didn't know about it, well, we know you're lying. The next thing is that the propensity of the dog, the violent propensity, that can be shown in a lot of ways. I had a case personally where we, uh, the owner was alleging, and probably true, that the dog had never bitten anybody. But there was a lot of testimony from the neighbors that the dog was always at the window and always at the front door barking and viciously barking and uh, um, you know when a squirrel one time a, test, a witness testified a neighbor testified a squirrel went through uh, the yard and the dog was in the yard it was a fenced yard but the dog just destroyed this little squirrel so the violent propensity of a dog can be shown up by testimony of individuals in the neighborhood and often even videotape of the dog, you know, standing at the fence, barking and growling and drooling as people are walking by and cars are passing. So I think I've shared with you, if you're the dog owner, if you are someone who potentially is around a dog, just be careful. Ask the owner if it's okay to pet the dog. Ask the owner if the dog has ever bitten, if the dog is violent, before you reach down to pet a dog. I had a very serious case many years ago with a little girl uh, who asked if the dog was was uh, a good dog. She was six years old, and the five-year-old uh, playmate of hers said, oh, yes, and the dog jumped up and bit the little girl in the face. Horrible, horrible situation. Um Dogs are man's best friend, as they say. I'm a dog guy. Um, I, I like cats, but I, I've owned dogs. Dogs can be wonderful, but they can also be dangerous. So make sure you walk your dog, make sure you feed your dog, and make sure your dog is controlled so that uh, uh, you're not uh, listening as someone's walking by because your dog is now up for sale. How much is that doggy in the window? Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.